Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we are talking about Congo and I'm joined for this very special discussion by the biggest monkey I know, Adam Risky. That's Adam Risky's uh, an unusual name for somebody from Mombasa. <laughs> Do you know anyone from Mombasa? No. Then uh, I forget his response. Then what do you know about it? Then what do you know about it? R.I.P. that guy. Yeah, R.I.P. Grant Hesloff, who <laughs> later on went to become George Clooney's producer and was like winning Oscars. And I was like, you're the guy from Congo. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about 1995's Congo in just a little bit. But first... I'll open the show the way that I pretty much always do and ask you, Adam, have you seen anything good lately? Uh, yeah, I've seen like a ton of stuff. Um, so I'll start with some old ones and I'll go into the new releases. Cool. Um, I saw Spookies. Have you ever seen Spookies? <laughs> so short answer, yes. Um, last fall, I was fortunate enough to be a guest on the pure cinema podcast and we were programming our own like horror movie all-nighters and elric kane one of the hosts of that show programmed spookies as part of his horror all-nighter at that point i had not seen it but um after that show i went home and found a copy just on youtube and i watched it on youtube i have since bought a blu-ray of it uh from vinegar syndrome because it was released shortly thereafter so i need to rewatch it in a much more uh in 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 high def basically because the version i watched on youtube was not great uh and i don't remember a ton about it even though it was less than a year ago that i saw it okay so i knew about it because um one of the youtube channels i watched red letter media has a show called Best of the worst. Yeah. And they were yeah. talking about spookies on one of those episodes. And I watched that before I watched the movie. So throughout that episode, as they usually do, they kind of take the piss out of the movie. They're sort of making fun of it a lot, which makes sense because it's like they're picking deliberately bad movies. And I went in and I had a completely different experience with spookies. I thought it was quite frankly spooky <laughs> and it kind of had like this nightmare logic to it. And I felt very like unsettled and a little bit scared. And I'm not usually like that with horror movies, but spookies freaked me out. And then I watched it on YouTube also, but somebody put the vinegar syndrome transfer on oh. YouTube and then I like immediately bought it after I watched it. So I'm totally in the bag for spookies. It worked for me. Did you read about like the making of the movie? Yeah, and that almost makes it more unsettling for me because it's like two movies that don't fit crammed together. Right. So the the pacing is all weird and strange and like there's these inexplicable like inserts of like werewolf boys closing doors and like people getting dirt thrown on them and then like people popping out of graves or like there's like various like like some of the special effects are incredible and some of them are terrible yeah. it's just it doesn't make any sense and it just made me feel very off kilter all right well i'm glad that you discovered a movie that you like 
I do. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I've had like a weird run lately of just like really responding to the stuff I've been watching. So like, I'm not going to talk about it, but I rewatched popcorn for the sec. I, I, I only saw it one other time. And for whatever reason, I did a 180 degree turn on popcorn also. And I totally love popcorn. now. Yeah. That's a fun movie. That's another movie with a crazy production history. Yes, and Minter survives. Have you noticed that Minter survives in every horror movie? I believe you are right. Holy cow, she's never been killed off. No, go, and I'm so glad. Go Minter. She's Minter condition. <laughs> Is um, that your all Kelly Joe Minter podcast? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't come up with a, a title better than that. <laughs> no. Minter condition. Minter yeah. condition it is. Um, I watched... Another uh, horror movie, uh, actually, I'm cheating because I told you I was going to watch the, I was going to talk about the older stuff first. So I have one older thing. I watched The Experts for the first time because uh, I was mourning <laughs> Kelly Preston. R.I.P. Kelly Preston. Yeah. So I'd never, and I've been going through old Travolta movies and watching stuff that I had never seen of his before, and I never saw The Experts. So I watched it. It was like standard def on Amazon. So it wasn't the best way to watch it, but it was unavailable for a really long time. So I, it's, it was nice to see, I guess, just because this is the movie where they met and fell in love and you can kind of really read that on screen and it's a cheerful movie. It's got kind of a good premise, but it never really like clicks. So it's like a pleasant enough movie, but I kind of did it sometimes like, you know, when, a celebrity that you were a fan of passes away, you kind of need to feel a little bit better yeah. <laughs> immediately. Yeah. So I kind of had that with, um, with Kelly Preston who like left us way too soon. So sad. I used to watch the experts on cable a lot. It's been a long time, but that came out like during that, like between look who's talking and Pulp Fiction, right? That period where his star had kind of fallen again. Yeah, it was, uh, January of 89, and then Look Who's Talking was October 89. Oh, for real? Yeah. Okay. I thought Look Who's Talking was like 87. I don't know why. No, this one actually came out in 87, and then it got delayed for two years. And one of my favorite bits of trivia was um, Paramount wasn't happy with it, so they wanted Dave Thomas, who was the director, to go back and do reshoots, but he couldn't because Travolta gained 30 pounds over the span of two years. And it just made me so happy because I'm just like, I know what that is. That's love fat because you totally get fatter <laughs> once you're in love. And I was so happy for him. It's just like, man, he must have been really in love. <laughs> yeah, that's that was uh, to wake up to that news about Kelly Preston was very, very sad. And uh, yeah. John Travolta has had more than his share of heartache in his lifetime. And I just feel so sad yeah. for him yeah i mean obviously like i'm a huge fan of his he's one of my favorite actors and i always kind of root for him against his detractors to begin with but i mean like if you're still kind of taking pot shots at the poor guy now like you really need to rearrange your priorities yeah so but uh the experts is is fine it's not one of his more memorable movies but it's pleasant enough all right um, and then I watched a bunch of new stuff. 
Um, I watched Greyhound on Apple TV Plus. Did you watch that? I have not taken the plunge yet. We used our Apple TV to watch a different movie and to watch all of the morning show. Don't ask me why. Uh, but I have not yet watched Greyhound. The morning show sounds expensive. That's the only thing I could think of the whole time because every person that shows up is a famous person. They, yeah. just, they threw so much money at that show. Like, oh, you couldn't have just found a regular actor to play that part. It had to be this huge celebrity. Apparently so. Yeah. I don't know. Go figure. I haven't watched that yet. Um, I was I was, I was, was bummed to see how little in the way of movies Apple TV Plus has. And also, it's very confusing, the setup, because I'm just like, don't they just have movies like Hulu does or HBO does? And it, they don't, really. No, because Apple doesn't own any content it doesn't have a library at all so yeah you know these services like peacock and hbo max they have giant libraries from universal and warner brothers and apple owns nothing so they've got greyhound yeah and greyhound is totally fine it's good it's like the quintessential three-star movie okay it's it's not quite a sub i mean there's submarines in it like their ships are more cargo ships that are going through like this unprotected territory in world war ii where they don't have air covers so they're sort of having like these you know naval conflicts like while they're waiting for air support um and it's just a really it's like 90 minutes it's just a really straightforward like extended action sequence it's like 75 minutes of an action sequence and nobody really registers in the movie. Like, Hanks is good, but he's not, like, nearly as good as he's been anywhere else. Really, he's fine. But the whole thing is, like, very just kind of professional and straightforward. And it's suspenseful while you're watching it. But I, I wouldn't – I'd be lying if I said I really thought about it much since then. For the life of me, I cannot remember the name of that movie. I just keep calling it Tom Hanks' War Movie or Apple yeah. TV Tom Hanks' Movie. I cannot commit the title Greyhound to memory, no matter how hard I try. I can understand that. Like I was, I I was just relieved that it wasn't the Cloverfield paradox because I thought, <laughs> surely this is why it's being dumped on Apple TV Plus and not being like even on PVOD or something. But it's it's good. It's it's totally fine, especially in quarantine. It's like better than you than you should. It's not extraction. I'll put it that way. Got it. So. Um, and then I watched a documentary that I just like really stumbled upon, but I really liked it a lot. It was called Friedkin Uncut. And it's just basically like De Palma, but with William Friedkin. And I could listen to William Friedkin talk about anything yeah, for an hour and a half. And it's just so funny. Like he he starts the movie by like, it's just, it takes place in his house and like the interviewer is getting set up. And he just walks in and he's like, good morning, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, I'll be ready. I just need to get a cup of Java and it needs to be piping hot and rich and black. And then he like sits down and he's like, all right. He's like, and then he uh, is really like is making fun of directors who call themselves artists. He's just like, if you think you're an artist, fuck you. <laughs> He's just so funny, and they, they really focus a lot, obviously, on The French Connection, The Exorcist, Live and Die in L.A., Cruising. I kind of wish they talked about some of his misses, which they completely overlook stuff uh, like Jade or 
the guardian and stuff that I like, like the hunted and, and everything, but it's, it's very watchable. Um, I love that William Peterson describes him as somebody who has balls that flank. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's been in our Amazon queue. And honestly, the reason that I put off watching it is because I know what's going to happen and maybe it won't based on what you just said. I was like, I'm going to watch Friedkin Uncut, and then I'm going to need to watch every William Friedkin movie, and I don't own every William Friedkin movie, so it's going to send me to Amazon, and I'm going to be ordering like out-of-print DVDs of Jade <laughs> and spending way too much money, so I put off watching Friedkin Uncut. I'll pay full freight for Jade, and I'll <laughs> loan it to you. Because I'm crazy the, about Linda. Even the Scream Factory, uh, The Guardian, I don't have, you know, and so I'll be ordering that. I don't want to just dump all this money on, like, William Friedkin's misses, uh, even I, if I like some of them. Yeah, I had that, um, like, right afterwards, I watched a documentary about John G. Avildsen, and that was very, like, it wasn't as good as Friedkin Uncut. But after that, I was just like, do I need to rent The Power of One? And, like, I kept asking you about... Like a Van Damme movie that was the last movie that Avildsen directed, and I it, apparently it was also called Desert Heat, and then I remembered it after. That. Oh, Desert so Heat! Like, I know that title. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever see Desert Heat? I have not seen Desert Heat, uh, and okay. I didn't realize that was John G. Avildsen. He went um, by an alias for that one because apparently he I loved it. <laughs> he was so proud of it. He wanted to yeah. give somebody else the credit. But I was like, John G. Avildsen and Bill Conti were involved in a Van Damme movie, and I haven't seen this. This <laughs> needs to be rectified immediately. I think it's supposed to be kind of good. All right. Well, I mean, like, just the fact that it's it's kind of deserty uh, and there's heat, I'm yeah. like, that sounds nowhere to run-ish. Yeah, those are a couple things that you like, I know, in a movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, and then I watched a couple of newer horror movies. Um, do you remember the movie The Turning? It came out in January. Uh, no. Okay, so it's like a modern... Oh, wait, yes, I do. The Turning of the Screw. I totally remember yeah, it's it. A modern update of The Turning of the Screw. It's with Mackenzie Davis, which is the only reason I watched it, because she's an actress I will follow to the red box and back. And <laughs> I loved her in it. I think the movie's pretty well made. I remember it got like an F cinema score and I was like, why did it, why was it hated so much? And then I saw the ending and I was like, oh, this movie doesn't have an ending. It's like the devil inside. So that's why people hate it. And then I only could figure out the ending because I went on IMDb trivia and in the spoilers, it told me what the ending was. And I was like, well, that's a good ending, but they didn't like show that in the movie. Okay. <laughs> I remember so, when the movie was out, there was there was a big outrage about its lack of an ending, but I never heard what the ending was or wasn't. Yeah, it has kind of like a clue thing where there's like a straightforward ending, but then they go backwards 15 minutes and they're like, well, actually, maybe this happened. And then like during the second ending, it just stops. <laughs> And then I was like, well, that's a terrible ending. And then I, and then on the Blu-ray, they had a deleted, uh, an alternate ending. So I watched the alternate ending. And somehow that w ending is like so bad where I'm like, oh, they went with the right ending of not having an ending. <laughs> it was such a weird movie. But I didn't think like 80% of it was real, was bad. I thought it was like totally fine. It was suspenseful and she's great. She's great always. So I mean, like it was enough for me. 
Um, but then I watched Relic, which is awesome. Yeah, we've had Relic rented uh, since the day it came out, and I have not yet been in the headspace to actually watch it. Yeah, I can understand that. It's really sad. It's moody, but I like my horror sad sometimes. Most of the time, those are my favorite types of horror movies. Are no, like Spookies is like a, is a tragedy. Well, spookies, spookies is a tragedy. <laughs> it's. I mean, nobody makes it out alive except for the Spookies. <laughs> spoilers for Spookies, everyone. Oh, um, spooky spoilers. Spooky spoilers. Um, spooklers? <laughs> I don't know. I hope that's not like a bad word. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I think you're safe. I don't think that's okay. okay. Uh, I don't think. It, I think it's nonsense. So. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Um, so yeah, Relic was like it's one of those slow burn horror movies where like until the third act, I didn't know if I liked it really or not because it was just so methodically paced and i knew the performances were good but then the way it wraps up i was just like wow this is really something so i i uh, definitely recommend relic yeah i need to finally just pull the trigger and watch it mm-hmm. yeah pick a day where you're already sad and just sad it out oh so any day yeah <laughs> no traveling the world and doing good <laughs> um anything else no that's it sorry no that's okay okay uh that's a lot of stuff so um i watched uh i i had previously referred to the one movie that i watched on apple tv plus because we have a free year subscription and i know it's a movie you watched also it is the spike jones documentary beastie boys story Yes. Which uh, isn't so much, I mean, it's a documentary, but it's more like a concert film, uh, which I didn't realize until we started watching it, uh, of this live stage show that they did in New York, the two surviving members of the Beastie Boys, uh, Mike Diamond and Adam Horowitz. Um, And it's them kind of talking through the history of the Beastie Boys. And then they'll cut in, you know, footage or music or whatever. it was great. Like it, I thought it was really well done. Part of me was wishing it was a little bit more straightforward and not this weird thing that it is. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I kind of was in the mood for just like a straightforward documentary about the BC boys, but uh, it's certainly a different way to tell the story. And I thought it was really interesting that it was them telling the story and not the filmmaker telling the story. Um and it, you know, of course, made me want to listen to a bunch of Beastie Boys music and take out all my old CDs, and gave me a lot of appreciation, in particular for Adam Yauch, who yeah. really seems to have been kind of the heart and soul behind the group, uh, as well as really kind of the creative genius behind the group. Um, and like so many great people, gone too soon. Right. Yeah. I. I didn't really know a whole lot about the Beastie Boys because they, just for whatever reason, they're just not a band that I really responded to as I grew up. Um, I liked a few songs here and there, but I was just, I never owned a Beastie Boys album or anything. So um, I always have trouble measuring like the quality of a documentary because most of the time I'm, I really am pro the subject. Right. And I'm just like, well, is this a good documentary or am I just a fan of the thing? 
And this was such, such a good documentary that it didn't even matter that I wasn't really like a big fan of the Beastie Boys. I became like, as much of a fan of a band as I can without liking their music. <laughs> so I really liked the guys in it. And yeah, as you said, like everything with Adam Yauch, it was just so great to hear and like learn about him. Just what a really deep and creative and talented individual he was. And uh, yeah, like you said, of course, gone too soon. Fuck cancer. Yeah. Uh, but it's a really good documentary, and I'm glad we got this free year of Apple TV because that's really the only reason I wanted to even have Apple TV was because I really wanted to see this documentary. So I'm glad that I was able to, and I don't know how much else we'll be using our subscription now. I mean, I'll watch Greyhound, if I can remember the title of it, and we're <laughs> done with the morning show, so what else is there? Uh, there's I don't know when it's coming out, but the next Sofia Coppola movie is supposed to be on Apple TV+. Plus. Well, I hope it's within the next year. I hope so, too, because what are they waiting for? <laughs> um, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm not in the mood for anything like deep or sad or difficult or challenging. So late one night, uh, the other night on Amazon Prime, we watched Cousins, directed oh, by the, the Joel late Schumacher Joel Schumacher. Yeah, I've been last week I watched DC Cab. This week it was Cousins. I'm filling in all the gaps in my Joel Schumacher filmography. Have you ever seen it? Uh, yeah, I saw it on cable, like when I was seven, I don't remember much about <laughs> no. it, except that people were having sex a lot. There's nothing in that movie for a seven year old, uh, Ted Danson. Ted. I was a cheers fan. Sure. No, me too. Um, William Peterson of the William Friedkin documentary is, <laughs> yes. uh, is in the movie as well as, uh, Sean Young and Isabella Rossellini. And they basically like couple swap kind of uh it's a romantic drama the kind of movie that doesn't really get made much anymore it's not great you know the scenery is pretty because it's all like having never seen it my my idea of the movie based on the marketing from you know 30 years ago was like isn't that just a movie that takes place like in ex on expensive lawns where people are playing croquet and like on sailboats and stuff. And that's exactly what it is. It's kind of rich white people doing rich white stuff, attending rich white weddings. Um, the actors are charming. It, you know, it's the first time I've really seen Isabella Rossellini like play a person. Mm -hmm. And, but it is Joel Schumacher in like full Gary Marshall mode. Like, there's this Greek chorus of extras that he keeps cutting to for laughs and they're all real big and over the top. Um, Keith Coogan is playing like Ted Danson's teenage son. Who's a video artist who resembles no teenager except a teenager in movies. Like mm -hmm. Joel Schumacher was kind of a chameleon as a filmmaker. He was often uh, adapting to other styles rather than kind of carving out his own space with the exception of like Batman forever uh, and Batman and Robin. He did kind of put his own stamp on those, I would say. Um, but otherwise, you know, he's, it's, he's doing David Fincher or here he's doing Gary Marshall. Um, not a great movie, certainly pleasant enough, uh, but not something that I would like highly recommend. But again, I, I'm, I, I think I, I've got the number 23, and what's... have you ever seen that? No, that's the the the, the movies I have left. Number twenty three, and I think Flawless, and that might be it. 
Okay. I just rented two of his movies from the library. Um, Dying Young, which I've never seen, yeah. but is infamous wow. in our circles. <laughs> and um, The Trespass with Nicolas Cage and Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah. That's not a great one. I don't mind. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Schumacher, Cage, and Kidman. So there are three reasons to watch it, but it is not a great movie. Yeah. Well, if that trifecta is not working for me, there's always Cam Gigande. Oh, God. I forgot he was in that. I kind of forgot. Or Gigande. Yeah. I don't know. I, I forgot that that name. was a Schumacher joint. Yeah. That, I think that was his last movie. Oh, gosh. That's that's no way to go out. Eh, I don't know. He got <laughs> to go to work to see Nicole. True, that's a good way to go out. True. Yeah. Um, last night... We showed our kids Grease for the first time. Nice. Um, and I don't really have any strong feelings about Grease one way or another. I know in recent years, the sort of film Twitter opinion of Grease has pushed very hard against it. And everyone is very anti-Grease and very pro-Grease 2. Um, it's one of Erica's favorite movies it's like a movie she watched over and over again as a kid so she has the entire movie memorized and if you don't believe me just watch Grease next to her sometime <laughs> uh, because you'll learn that she has the entire movie memorized um, there's a lot of stuff in Grease that I find obnoxious and annoying you know and I think often by design like all of the you know, Danny Zuko's friends are kind of over the top, ridiculous, obnoxious. Um, but I bring it up because like the songs are fun and it's last week we wrote about honey. I blew up the kid directed by Randall Kleiser. And so I was like watching Greece paying special attention to the direction. Like, is this guy just a major hack? But Grease is, as you pointed out in the column, a much better directed film than Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. But mostly I just want to mention the fact that we already talked about Travolta when you talked about the experts. Um, I was thinking of you the whole time because I know he's one of your very favorite actors. And, man, he is, when he's on, you know, because we did a show earlier this year that's like one of my favorite shows we've ever done in 10 years about this movie, about John Travolta and Nicolas Cage movies. And... You know, we talked about some Travolta movies that were really good and then some that were, you know, a little bit subpar. Um, but when he's like on in something like Grease or Saturday Night Fever or Blowout or Pulp Fiction or Get Shorty or Look Who's Talking, you know, um, he's like one of, if not the greatest movie stars, I think, of his generation. Like I, I can't even think of somebody working today who I could compare to John Travolta. I just was watching him in Greece when he smiles. It's, it's a, it's like a $500 million smile. <laughs> like that. You just want to throw box office at him. Uh, he's just so electric and so great on screen. Um, I just can't say enough good things about him in Greece. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm about one rung below Erica in my Grease fandom. Like, oh, okay. it's not one of my favorite movies, but I adore it, and I've seen it, you know, at least a dozen times. And, I, like you said, I mean, Travolta from Welcome Back, Hotter through Blowout. I mean, he was just the man. He like 
it was just that lightning in a bottle thing. He was just like a born, you know, TV movie star. Um, and it's funny that you said the thing about like him smiling and like, you just want to throw a box office at him. Like not to, you know, toot my own horn, but like it's pertinent to the conversation. Like when I met him at a convention, I don't like every time I've met celebrities at conventions, I've, I, I don't know. Like, it's always kind of an awkward experience, but with him and with Nev Campbell, those were the two where I was just like, Jesus Christ, I understand why they're movie stars. (laughs) Just being in their, like, like within a foot of them, like, Travolta, like, looked at me and he, like, did break eye contact with me and, like, it was, like, staring into stars. It was crazy. And... I was like, oh, I completely get it. And he was such a gracious and nice person when I met him in that limited amount of time. And um, yeah, I just have so much nostalgia for Saturday Night Fever, obviously. It's my favorite movie. And then Grease and Pulp Fiction. And I remember like one of my favorite times discovering a movie star was around the time Pulp Fiction came out because all at once I was watching Nick at Night and watching Welcome Back, Cotter and Pulp Fiction. And, like, I knew him just from Look Who's Talking before and, like, realizing that there was this whole other world of him where he was on top of the heap of movie stars and it wasn't like he was struggling to get back to prominence. It was it was a really cool time. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he's something. Yeah, it definitely kind of put a, a bug in my ear to finally see Urban Cowboy. I know we talked about it. I think the last time you were on, and I still haven't, yeah. I still haven't seen it. But I think that's the last of like his big star vehicles that I need to check out from that period where he was really on fire. You know. Yeah, I've got a few like smaller ones, like moment by moment, and two of a kind. But like the the big ones, uh, Urban Cowboy was the last one I needed to check off. Yeah. yeah. He's I mean he's he's watchable or good even in bad movies to a point cuz I'm thinking of something like Perfect which is not a good movie but like Travolta's fun in it, you know? Like uh, mm. I'm uh he's not even like bad in Staying Alive. It's just that Staying Alive is so bad <laughs> that you know. Yeah. Um I think it's only in more recent years that some of his performances and we've talked before. I'm not going to take shots at him but like in stuff like Speed Kills or Gotti, where I'm just like, oh, Travolta, I'm not sure what you're doing here. You know, uh, he makes some choices that maybe, maybe they're just the wrong kinds of characters for him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, we've said this before. Um, it might have been on that show. Like, he'll give you everything he's got. It's just that sometimes he gives it to people who aren't worthy of this, his <laughs> right, effort. Right, right. E from Entourage, you think, might not be worthy of it? Um, Very good in Rocky Five. <laughs> I have not been a fan of work since then. <laughs> uh, the last movie that I'll talk about is something I just re-watched because I hadn't seen it since 2005, and that is The Baxter, uh, written and directed by Michael Showalter. Have you ever seen it? No, that's one I haven't seen. At the time, I was so excited for it because this was kind of coming off Wet Hot American Summer, and I was like, what's he going to do next? And boy, the Baxter is not Wet Hot American Summer. (laughs) So I was hugely disappointed in 2005. Watching it last night, I was much more receptive to the movie. It's got such a great idea, which is 
It's a romantic comedy told from the perspective of Bill Pullman in Sleepless in Seattle or or Ralph Bellamy and his girl Friday, right? It's like mm. it's it's he's the wrong guy. And um it's a great idea, but unfortunately he tends to play it like such a drip that it's not even like Bill Pullman in Sleepless in Seattle, like you still love him. You recognize he's the wrong guy, you want her to end up with Tom Hanks. But you're like, oh, but he's so nice and so sweet. And like he just Bill Pullman rules. Uh, Michael Showalter plays it more just like almost like he's an alien uh, and is a giant weirdo. But so uh, he's engaged to Elizabeth Banks and Justin Thoreau is sort of the romantic hero that he's in competition with. And then Michelle Williams is playing his uh, the temp in his office and they kind of hit it off. And so there's a good cast. Obviously a bunch of people from the state show up in small roles. I enjoyed it a lot more kind of knowing what I was in for this time uh, Mm -hmm. than I did back in 2005. But again, it's, it's like if it showed up on Netflix, I would say, yeah, watch it, but it's not a movie that I would say, go out of your way to find it. That's one of those movies where, the poster turned me off to it because he looks like he's like, like I always thought Michael Showalter kind of looks like a young De Niro a little bit, but it looks like De Niro playing Balky on perfect strangers. Yeah. That's kind of how he approaches the entire performance. If his, if his expression, (laughs) if the way he's, he's costumed and his expression on the poster kind of puts you off, that's the entire performance. Oh, geez. Yeah. I find it interesting how much I can be swayed in or out on a movie by like the thumbnail of it. <laughs> like I was flipping through Netflix and I saw like a picture of like Ashley Judd in like a tank top. And I'm like, do I need to rewatch double Jeopardy? <laughs> <laughs> but if it was just the poster art, I would have never thought about watching double Jeopardy again. What's the, you didn't talk about the, the fatal encounter, fatal, oh, fatal affair, fatal affair. Yeah. I mean, I can if you want. It's uh, Nia Long and Omar Epps in basically Fatal Attraction, sort of. But it's like Netflix trying to approximate a Screen Gems movie, which is like, guys, you can aim higher. (laughs) So it's really weird. Um, And I went on uh, Twitter after I watched Fatal Affair because it was a trending topic like the day that it was released. And all these people were saying like, same script, different actors. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally true. It's like all these movies where they cast like two, uh, two black actors who were popular or uh, like 10, 15 years ago and didn't get the career they should have like Omar Epps or Nia Long or, you know, Morris Chestnut or Michael Ely or Megan Good. Or, I mean, it's just like a rotating like list of actors and it's always the same script and it's really frustrating because you can tell like in every goddamn scene that they're better than this and like they can elevate this script if like they just had permission to but it's like nobody's allowing them to like i'll give you an example like there's one scene in the script where nia long is trying to get back at omar epps who's been like terrorizing her for the past 30 minutes or so so she's just like, well, I'm going to go into his apartment and screw things up in his at his place. So the way that the script handles this is Neil Long goes up to the front desk at like uh, Omar Epps' apartment building and says, hey, 
I was just in there and I forgot some stuff. Could I get his key and like go up there? And then the woman behind the desk just goes, she like looks around and she just goes, us girls got to stick together and just give her the apartment. And I'm like, that's not how anything works. (laughs) Um, Barf. Yeah. It's just, it's just not good. It's just really, really not good. It's like, and it's not good in a bad way, not in a fun way. Right. Okay. It's yeah. not even like fun trash. No. I mean, if you want that, go to the intruder. Yeah, I forgot about the intruder. Yeah. Dennis Quaid's finest hour. So good. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's talk about Congo, which yes. came about because I think I saw the Blu-ray on Amazon for like $5. And I thought, you know, I could spend $5, order Congo, and we could do a show on it because I know Adam's a fan. And I haven't seen it since 1995 when I did a theatrical double double feature with it and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. That's a good afternoon. It was my second viewing of Die Hard with a Vengeance, but my dad hadn't seen it. So I saw that for a second time. And then we went to see Congo, which at the time, I think because I was expecting Jurassic Park with gorillas, I didn't love Congo in 1995. I thought, this seems very silly and not what I thought it was going to be because this comes from that period where we had to make every Michael Crichton book into a movie, um, which, you know, back then I didn't realize was not a new phenomenon. You know, Michael Crichton didn't come on my radar until Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't realize that he'd been writing books forever and had directed movies and they had adapted his books into movies and had been doing so for 20 years prior to Jurassic Park. Um, but it was like all at once, all, oh, Rising Sun and Congo and Jurassic Park. And there's another one from right around that time. Disclosure. Disclosure. Thank you. That's absolutely what it is. And then Sphere a couple years later. Um, so the nineties were very Crichton heavy. Disclosure was absolutely the movie I was trying to think of. Thank you. Better (laughs) or worse than Fatal Affair. Oh, better. Disclosure, disclosures. It, 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 that that movie might be better today than it was in '94. <laughs> that movie is a blast. Oh god, <laughs> it's it's so retrograde, but it's really fun. Um, so I was expecting something that Congo is not interested in being, and rewatching it again yesterday. Uh, I had better context because I'm like, okay, Frank Marshall directed this. Mm-hmm. And he made arachnophobia, and he knows his way around a certain kind of movie. And John Patrick Shanley wrote the screenplay, and he's no slouch, and he wrote and directed one of my favorite movies of all time with Joe versus the Volcano. These people knew what they were doing. Congo isn't uh, a mistake, I don't think. Um, but I was definitely having a little bit of a showgirl situation where I was back and forth, like okay, are they trying to make this movie or did they accidentally stumble upon making this movie? I think they were trying to make this movie, but you are the Congo expert, so I will defer to you. I think the filmmakers and Paramount Pictures had different agendas. I would agree Um, with that. I think that uh, maybe not Frank Marshall. Maybe it's just that, you know, this was his third movie, I think. 
after arachnophobia and alive, maybe he just didn't have like the Spielberg sure-handedness that like, you know, his, you know, he produced for Steven Spielberg for most of his career. So like he didn't have that sure hand on tone. Um, I think John Patrick Shanley is clearly writing like an adventure comedy, sort of like a nineties version of like, uh, you know, a fifties matinee right. and right. having like a great time doing it. And that's no mistake because the dialogue is so goofy and it's not just functional dialogue. And like, he's got these characters who are clearly archetypes like Tim Curry's character or Ernie Hudson's character. And we'll get back to them, I'm sure. Um, but I think because Michael Crichton was a brand based off of Jurassic park, Paramount, really like led audiences and my, myself included to believe that this was like the next best thing to Jurassic Park 2. And when you go in with that expectation, I can see where you would just completely reject this really kind of silly tone. Um, Cause this is one of the silliest movies like you could ever make. Yes. Um, but for me, it was love at first sight. It wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, but I thought that it was one of the most fun mo summer movies that I had ever seen. And I still think when I watched it, you know, this past weekend, that the movie for me is just like capital letters fun. Um, it's just so goofy and silly and just committed to being this you know, ridiculous jungle adventure and every detail is just like, yeah, why not a gun that's run by a diamond? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so much like, are you with us or are you not? And if you're with it and you just completely keep saying yes and to the movie as a viewer, there's a lot of fun to be had. If you're re resistant to that, I could see where the movie wouldn't work for you at all. Well, I wish I would have been a more sophisticated viewer back in 1995 because I think I could have appreciated and enjoyed the movie a lot more. And, uh, you know, I do think expectations had something to do with it. I remember, you know, Roger Ebert famously gave the movie three out of four stars. And it was one of those movies that people would point to as proof that Roger was losing his touch, that he was losing his grip. Because what? He liked Congo. And that movie's a joke. But Roger Ebert got it, and I didn't get it in 1995. Watching it again yesterday, I completely got it, and I was like, oh, that's what this movie is. How can you not be entertained by this movie? Just the cast alone, and, and I think there are problems with the cast because I think Dylan Walsh, you know, I famously believe to be a mayonnaise sandwich, and <laughs> I don't think... He is very compelling uh, as sort of the de facto lead of the movie or the co-lead, and he's with Laura Linney. And this was the first time I can remember really seeing Laura Linney in anything. Um, and she's obviously a great actor. She, I, I, I'm back and forth, because on the one hand, I think Laura Linney and Dylan Walsh play the material too straight. They don't know the movie that they're in. And then on the mm -hmm. other hand, I'm like, no, but you kind of need somebody to be playing this material straight. Because if everybody's in on the joke, 
uh, I think it falls apart. And I think enough people are in on the joke. So so I'm real back and forth. But the Dylan Walsh and Laura Linney performances, I think, I, I, I vacillate on. Um, but everybody who shows up in this movie is an actor that you like. There's Joe Don Baker. There's Mary Ellen Trainer. There's Joey Pants. There's Delroy Lindo. There's James Karen. You know, every, there's uh, Bruce Campbell. Peter, freaking Peter Jason. Peter Jason, like right? One line it's, of dialogue. I know. And it's, and it's awesome because he goes, is there a problem? And he goes, not unless there's a problem. And then they laugh and that's it. And that's Peter Jason's con- contribution. I'm like, well, that was nice. I'm glad that that was there. <laughs> um, yeah. Like just, just for the actors alone. Again, if you're somebody who loves movies, I think this movie's a lot of fun just to see all the people show up. Um, but you know, I, I think there are things that are, I have not read the book. I should say that now. Uh, mm-hmm. This might be a terrible adaptation of the book, or this might be a very good adaptation of a bad book. I don't know. Um, there's some stuff in the middle that to me gets bogged down in what feels like stuff that might have worked in the book. There's a lot of stuff about how are we going to get into the jungle and there's civil war going on and they're going to be shooting at our planes and we have to pay off Delroy Lindo. And it gets very into sort of the minutia or of the logistics of this trip. And that to me is less interesting than, uh, shooting lasers at gorillas, which is what we get at the end of the movie. Right. So the movie knows how to land, um, some of the the stuff gets a little too, I don't want to say technical, but for lack of a better word, a little too technical, I guess, um, and less kind of pulpy. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I was watching it yesterday, and I was like, this movie ends with uh, gorillas being cut in half by lasers, and how can I not just be smiling at this? <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> way to wrap up your... your uh... <laughs> Your summation. Um, <laughs> gorillas are my I, favorite animal, I should say. I'm not happy to see gorillas die. I just was, <laughs> it's so over the top that I was like, giddy, well, they're, they're evil gorillas. I mean, to yeah. be fair, they're, yes. I think it's, I have so much to say. <laughs> like, I apologize in advance to our fans who prefer shorter shows because I've been waiting 25 years to talk about Congo, so you're going to have to humor me a little bit. I'll start with the gray gorillas who I don't know what it is, but like for this movie that toes the line between like, is it in on the joke or is it not? The Stan Winston special effects are definitely on that line too. Yeah. Where you're just like, is this good or is this terrible work by him? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the gray gorillas being just mowed down by a laser gun. (laughs) And Dylan Walsh, who is the benevolent primatologist, just shooting them with a handgun. <laughs> it's bananas. It, it's hilarious. Yeah. And it's really, really funny. And then, like, not only that, but there's, like, a volcano erupting. And John Patrick Shanley must have a thing for volcanoes because <laughs> this is, like, the second movie incorporating that. And then, like, the whole movie at the end just turns into, like, the floor is lava, the movie. <laughs> and... It's great. It's really, really fun. Um, I have a question for you because when you were talking about Dylan Walsh, Mayonnaise Sandwich in particular, if you flipped his part with Bruce Campbell, is this a better movie? Yes. 
I was wondering if he's too in, if Bruce Campbell would be one actor too far in on the joke. Um, he might be, as long as they didn't turn the character into Brennan Fraser in The Mummy, kind of wisecracking, roguish hero. I think it has to kind of stay the way that the Dylan Walsh character is written. Um, but I think Bruce Campbell would give it an energy and a size that is missing in the... I think Dylan Walsh, because he's a man in a sandwich, he kind of gets swallowed up in this movie with volcanoes and lasers and gorillas. And of course it ends with them floating away in a hot air balloon because that's the only thing this movie was missing up to that point. You're like, you know what? This yeah. movie could use a hot air balloon. Ooh, wait, here, we've got one. Yeah, like you had mentioned that you didn't like kind of all the minutia that was happening in the middle of the movie with like the logistics and the technical aspects of like the Congo, you know, war, warring areas and like all that stuff. I've seen this movie like 25 times. So that was the stuff that I noticed more this time because it had been several years since I've seen it. And there's little details in it that I really am starting to pick up and like, um, like, um ernie hudson's kind of second in command i forgot the actor's name um he's been in a bunch of stuff he's like a character actor but um his character's name is Pega. and i just kept noticing like how much he was into like the state of the art equipment <laughs> so there's like all these scenes where he's just like she like laura lenny throws out the pop ten and he's just goes oh <laughs> and like there's like stuff with the rafts and he's like ooh, top of the line and stuff he's just so excited about it and that part made me laugh even more because this goes to show what a Congo fan I am. When this movie came out, I bought the official movie magazine and I remember reading every single page of it. And they had these detailed character descriptions that were like far more detailed than anything in the movie. So like characters like Eddie Ventro played by Joe Pantoliano or Cahaga, it would be like, if you need anything in a foreign land, Eddie Ventros <laughs> and like it's just like so like you go into watching the movie with like this depth of knowledge about like the past forty years of Eddie Ventro's life and it's like Kahega, you couldn't ask for a better man in the bush than <laughs> And it's just so great. Um so like I was picking up on little things like that, these characters that I shouldn't have any familiarity with, but I'm just like, man, we really lost a good one when Pega got killed by the Grey Gorillas. <laughs> and to be fair, even though I don't necessarily like uh, a lot of the the technical stuff as much, it does give us the Delroy Lindo scene Oh my god. <laughs> with Stop Eating My Sesame Cake. And I'm not willing to lose that. No, Stop Eating My Sesame Cake um is one of the best written lines ever put on paper <laughs> and Delroy Lindo this is his second best performance after Defy the Blood did w w the actors that signed up for this movie did they think that they were making Jurassic Park like when they got offered hey it's the new Michael Crichton science fiction action adventure post Jurassic Park do you think that, like, Mayonnaise Sandwich was like, yes, sign me up. I get to be in the next Jurassic Park. Yes. And I think Laura Linney did, too. I think Tim Curry and Ernie Hudson were the two that were in on the joke. Ernie Hudson. Has never been better. He's this movie's MVP. 
because he walks the line perfectly. Tim Curry, for me, I'm sure is a lot of people's favorite. Tim Curry, for me, is acting in, like, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Like, he's gone too far the other direction, where he distances himself from the material by being so over the top that it's like, I refuse to be... um, an accomplice, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get out of here unscathed by making my performance on another planet. Whereas Ernie Hudson, uh, just really leans into everything that's good about the movie and really sets the tone, uh, for the whole thing. He's, he's the MVP for sure. I think. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen Ernie up to that point. I had seen Ernie Hudson in a lot of movies because he was a very popular actor after Ghostbusters. So he was showing up in The Crow and, you know, The Hand of the Rocks, The Cradle and just like and he never popped in a movie like he did in Congo. Like Congo, it felt like the role he was born to play. (laughs) He knew exactly the right pitch to do it as like this, you know, like swashing, like Clark Gable type guy and. He's just fantastic in this movie. And um, he's got some, because he puts on like a British dialect, there's some lines that are just so lyrical, <laughs> like the way he says it. Like there's one where him and Kahega, they're just like, so Kahega goes, he gave her the banana with the dope inside. And then he goes, yes, yeah, she gave her the banana with the dope inside. <laughs> and like, there's so many lines of dialogue in this movie that I've just been repeating for like in my head or at recess. <laughs> like we used to have like Herkum or Homoka days where we would just like talk like Herkum or Homoka because it was fun. We were like, the Ips, the diamonds, all of it is absolutely true. <laughs> It's hard to believe that that character was written into the book. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he was. Oh, is he an addition just for the movie? I think so because I, 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 I could be correct. You know, I could be wrong. So correct me in the comments if I am. But I skimmed like the book Wikipedia page, and I didn't see anything about Herkimer Homoka. Interesting. Herkimer Homoka is one of the greatest characters since. Peter Lorre in Casablanca. <laughs> it's a shame that he gets his head smashed by a gorilla. He deserves it. <laughs> um, so does yeah, Joe Don yeah. Baker, though, and Joe Don Baker gets away. I was worried at the end of this movie, like, you know how uh, uh, Laura Linney shoots the laser with pinpoint accuracy at the satellite and destroys it? Um, <laughs> I kept worrying. I'm just like, is she going to get sued by Travacom? That just goes to show like where we are in life. Yeah, now. right. Where I was like curious about how this corporation was going to ruin her life. No, there's a moment early on that cuts from the jungle to outer space, and I was like, well, that's Congo in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think? Dylan Walsh has the hots for Laura Linney in this movie because I wasn't reading that until the scene where the monkeys were mating and then he goes all times up on her where he's like making all these mating sounds to her and then it's immediately followed by the scene where he gets a bunch of dick leeches and I was wondering if she put the leeches on him when he was sleeping (laughs) in revenge. I hope she did. Yeah, he deserves a dick leeches. Yeah, no, he's just a 
hair. Once you see that hair, you're just like, oh, you're a loser. <laughs> well, he's like playing Vince Vaughn in The Lost World, right? Like before, uh, yeah. a couple of years before The Lost World comes out. Yeah. Um, and he also sucks because like Grant Heslov dies and then in the next scene he doesn't even seem to care anymore. No, no, nobody's faced too much by a lot, <laughs> by any of the deaths they see around them. Even Laura Linney like, takes Bruce Campbell's death pretty much in stride. Yeah. Um, this is something that I never noticed before because I hadn't seen this movie prior to this maybe in like 10 years, but Laura Linney in this movie reminded me a lot of like a Brie Larson performance. Okay. So I kept getting that vibe. So now I think that Brie Larson is always just doing Laura Linney and Congo. <laughs> Um, on the IMDb trivia page, it does say that this is Ernie Hudson's favorite of all his roles. That makes me really happy. Yeah, because he might be the only one who fondly remembers Congo. I feel like everybody else is probably a little embarrassed by it, and they shouldn't be. Again, you know, this is um, this movie would make a great double feature with The Phantom. The tagline of this movie is "Where you are the endangered species." <laughs> Um, Amazing. Are there other movies that you can remember with vicious hippopotamus attacks? I can't. No. no um, I was watching it and thinking, oh, I've never seen that in a movie before. Uh, I paused the movie after the hippopotamus scene, and I went on YouTube to look up stuff about hippopotamuses. Yeah. Like, and do they attack I, and kill people? I saw, And I watched a video called Hippo Chases Man. And it was pretty awesome. I'll bet. But they were, yeah, but he got away because he was, he was in shape. <laughs> apparently hippopotamuses are, are extremely irritable and territorial. And um, you think that they're big cows, but they're not. They'll rip you in half. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. That's why there needs to be some kind of, they need, they need to have, well, first off, they need to have like a whole Congo land and animal kingdom. Um, and they need to have like a raft adventure. They could even cross promote it with the river wild because there is a rafting scene and the river gets wild for about 30 seconds. Yeah. And then once the river's done wild and out, the hippos attack you. <laughs> there's hippos in jungle cruise, but they don't attack you. No, they're peaceful hippos. Yeah. Which hello, Disney. Have you seen Congo update your ride? <laughs> Why? Here's another question. Why is Jimmy Buffett in this movie? Where is he in this movie? He's the uh, pilot of the airplane. Is he? Yeah. I never noticed that. Yeah. Maybe maybe he just really wanted to be in Congo. Maybe he... Why didn't he like, write a song about it? Why didn't we get a... He wrote the... Oh, maybe that's why. Because he wrote the Arachnophobia song. So maybe he and Frank Marshall are buddies. Maybe. I was going to say, maybe he should, he should have written the Congo song that plays at the end of the movie, but he had already done that for Arachnophobia. Um, point of order, good sir. That Congo song is has a title. It's called <laughs> "Spirit of Africa," and I knew all the lyrics to that song. It's uh, kind of embarrassing. It's an earworm. <laughs> it was nominated for a Razzie. Oh, this movie was nominated for seven Razzies again, which just proves that they're such bullshit. But I, I it, that makes sense to me in 1995. Honestly, I do think yeah. that like. This movie was weirdly ahead of its time. Although The Phantom came out one year later and I got The Phantom in 1996. For some reason, I didn't get Congo in 95. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, were we just like jaded by the OJ trial? 
I mean, it could have been, yeah. Or uh, yeah. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness had really changed me as a person. Was that 95 or was that 96? I think it was 95. Did right. we use up all of our derisive laughs on Mad Love? <laughs> I've never seen Mad Love. I don't know what you're doing. Why are we recording this? Pause it. Um, Chris O'Donnell, uh, yeah, Chris O'Donnell, also a little bit of a mayonnaise sandwich. Yeah, but he's like Alpha William McNamara. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I really like the scene where they're shooting heat-seeking anti-aircraft missiles with flare guns, and it looks like Jules and Vincent in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, and they they never miss. <laughs> well, they don't need to miss, right? They just shoot the flare. And then the missile hits the flare. Oh, yeah, you're right. I thought it was even more impressive than it was. No. well, See, That's why you should go on these expeditions and not me. <laughs> I'm the Ernie Hudson of this podcast. You really are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm straight up a mocha. <laughs> but again, yeah, that was just one of those crazy scenes that I, 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 part of me was just like, okay, get to the jungle already. You know, like well, we're spending a lot of time on this civil unrest in the Congo and I'm ready to just get down to like being chased by animals and hippo attacks and stuff. Yeah. Are you ready to talk about Amy, the gorilla? No one's ever really ready to talk about Amy, the gorilla, but I think we've arrived at the point where we can't avoid it. I think Amy is a ridiculous character. (laughs) However, by the end of the movie, I get oddly defensive about Amy the gorilla. (laughs) When I was in junior high, my friends would always make the joke of when they throw the diamond out of the hot air balloon, wouldn't it be funny if it hit Amy? (laughs) And I thought to myself, fuck you. Amy's cool. Why are my friends with such jerks? Yeah, I don't want a diamond to hit Amy. No, Amy is a diamond. (laughs) Amy's got everyone's number. Amy smokes. Yeah. She drinks martinis, yeah. but it's okay. They'll calm her down. What does she call it again? Green. Green drop drink. Green drop drink. <laughs> Amy wants green drop drink. Tickle Amy. Tickle Amy. Tickle Amy. Bad gorillas. Go away. Ugly woman. There was a dill- Manny Sandwich has a line that. I was like, that's the line of the movie for sure. It has something to do with being a primatologist. I don't have a price. I'm not a pound of sugar. I'm, a primat- I'm not a pound of sugar. I'm a primatologist. That's what it is. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know Congo very well. Oh, man. It's like, I know it better than Torah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Kafka? Tell me. The money hairs on the back of my neck going woo woo woo. Yeah, yeah, gotta love it. Gotta love it. I was very shocked. uh, Green drop drink. I was very shocked to discover because in my mind this movie was a notorious bomb. I know that it was badly reviewed, but I had no idea that it went on to gross 150 million dollars. It was actually a hit. Yeah, no, it did well. Um, Yeah, it. uh, I think was. Top 10 grossing movies of summer 95? Of the summer, not of the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it didn't make 100 million, but it made like 80 something. 
Uh, well, made 150 globally. World, yeah, like 80. Globally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. How did it do in the Congo, though? <laughs> 1995. All right, let's see. Summer 1995. Oh, screw you. Never mind. It won't show what? me. Um, it's just showing me for the whole year. It's not showing me for the summer. Um, I could guess some of them. All right, so you got Crimson Tide would have been in there. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Well, here's for yeah, the year first. or for the summer? Yeah, here's for, for the, the year. Summer. For the summer. Oh, for the summer. I don't know how to find it just for the summer. I don't need it because I can remember this stuff. <laughs> My mind is like a steel trap um, when it comes to the movie release dates. So you had yeah, Crimson Tide, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Casper, Congo, Bridges of Madison County. Batman Forever. Yeah. Apollo 13. Yeah. Uh, Pocahontas. Yeah. Um, Clueless, maybe? Mm. Waterworld? Waterworld is in there. Mortal Kombat? Maybe. I don't know. Dangerous Minds? Yikes. What a year. What a year 1995 was. I wrote a column once called Best Summer Ever, and 1995 was my choice for Best Summer Ever. Huh. I love that summer. I watched so many movies, and they have such nostalgia for so many movies from that summer. I, For some reason, I thought Batman Forever was the highest grossing. Well, according to this list, it is. Oh, this yeah, is I just domestic. Yeah, yeah, just domestic. Because I don't know about worldwide. Worldwide, Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance is number yeah. one, yeah. Batman yeah. Forever drops to, like, number five. In high school, in my German class, um, my German teacher had a poster for for Die Hard with a Vengeance up, but it was the German poster, and it was called Sturb Langsam Jetzt Erst Reich. Wow. Yeah. But I bet you people went up to the ticket counter and were like, one for Sturb. <laughs> Congo. Congo was the fourteenth highest grossing movie of nineteen ninety five domestically. It had a video game that I tried to convince my family to purchase an entire PC just so I could have. Wow. Didn't work? Yeah. No. We ended up getting a computer, but I never got the PC game because my dad was like, oh, if you, the moment you put in one of those PC games, the computer will crash. And I'm like, are you watching the net? Where do you get this from? <laughs> also so. released in 1995. Yes. Um, so I, I don't mean to brag, but I was a telecommunications minor in college. And we never talked about Travicom or <laughs> diamonds and lasers or communications cash cows. And I feel like, that's why I'm not doing anything in telecom because I didn't get the right tutelage. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it. I mean, he said not... the future is putting a diamond or diamond juice in a laser. Like how was that got to do with anything? That's, that's, that's the future of communications. Diamonds and lasers. So like when you say, can you hear me now? If you can't hear me, it's because of the diamond juice is low. Yes. Joe Don Laser says, give me more diamonds. God. He looks like a giant vibrating steak in this movie. <laughs> he is not uh, underplaying. No. 
He's going for it. <laughs> most Every, most of the cast goes for it, which is what because makes Manny's Sandwich and Laura Linney kind of stand out. Yeah. Because of this movie, every password I have is just Rudy, 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 Rudy. <laughs> well, I got to say, this uh, $5 Blu-ray is five of the best dollars I've spent in a long time. I'm glad to hear this. I thought you hated this movie based on like how we were we were talking at the beginning of the show, like before we rolled. <laughs> yeah. This is making me happy that you found some, some fun in it. Um, yeah, no, I, I had segued with, like, speaking of shit show, let's talk about Congo, and which is totally unfair because I thought Congo was incredibly entertaining. I like the scene where they all skydive and Ernie Hudson has to hold Amy the girl <laughs> the entire oh way, and the way that they explain it afterwards, he goes, oh, that girl has some set of teeth. And I'm just like, show that, show the gorilla biting it. <laughs> skydiving. That's like something that it wasn't in drop zone. It wasn't in any mission impossible movies. Congo, you had your chance and you blew it. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Nero and Copley. Um, all right, so let me let's take the thirteen movies that beat Congo at the box office, and I'll ask you, which would you rather watch, Congo or these movies? Okay. Okay. At number thirteen, while you were sleeping. Congo. Congo. At number twelve, Dangerous Minds. Congo. At number eleven, Seven. Tie. <laughs> no ties. Got to pick one. <laughs> Um, I'd rather watch seven. Okay. At number 10, Waterworld. Waterworld. All right. The Ulysses cut. Yeah, just the Ulysses cut. Theatrical, I'll go Congo. All right. All right. Uh, number nine, Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. Okay. Number eight, Goldeneye. Congo. <laughs> number seven, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Congo. Number six, Casper. Congo. You're the only person I know that that might even be a debate. <laughs> I love Casper. <laughs> I know. That's Have you why watched I... that recently? No. It's good. You it, should watch it. It's got Pullman. It's not Netflix. Is it? All right. Maybe yeah. I'll try to show my kids or something. I cannot believe I it was have... the sixth highest grossing movie of 1995. You know what's fucked up? I have a tattoo of Casper, but I chose Congo over the movie that I have a tattoo of. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you need an Amy the Gorilla tattoo. Um, if Biden wins and there's a vaccine by the end of the year, I will get an Expendables <laughs> tattoo and a Congo tattoo. Uh, number five, Ace Ventura when Nature Calls. Oh, Congo. Yeah, for sure. Number four, Pocahontas. Congo. Number three, Toy Story. Congo. <laughs> number two, Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Oh, wow. All right. And number one, Batman Forever. Batman Forever. All right. Well, Congo. Uh, But Congo is a movie where I feel like when I'm watching it, I'm home. It just feels right to me. It did pretty well. And I feel confident that it would beat out if we went the other direction (laughs) and scrolled down to number, you know, 328 uh, movies released that year. I think... Congo would beat most of them. I mean, it's just it's just fun. Forwards and backwards. It's got scenes where like Amy knocks over a satellite and somehow it's shredded, even though it falls <laughs> on grass. 
<laughs> it's destroyed. She bumped into it. Yeah, it's got see like how many like how many movies on that list have the ending where why don't all the sets just collapse? <laughs> like more movies should end with the sets collapsing. Do you feel like any of this movie was shot in an actual jungle or is it all on sets? No, I mean granted I don't know like how much but um, on the end credits, they were saying that it was shot in, like, Costa Rica and, like, some other countries. So it wasn't, like, one of those movies where it was on a back lot or, like, they just went to a ranch, like, in Hawaii or something. I feel like so much of it looks like a back lot. Yeah. Well, maybe the Congo just looks like a back lot. Uh, maybe it's just the way Frank Marshall shot it because the fact that there's any question, you know, that should be one of the appeals of the movie is, like, gorgeous scenery. And I don't feel like this movie has that going for it. Minus Dylan Walsh, of course. I was just about to say, what about Dylan Walsh? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Imagine being like the weak link in Congo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Dylan Walsh is a great dad. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, he has... Had a long career and good for him. Yeah. Yeah. I bet he makes fun of F this movie to his wife and banker. No doubt. Yeah. So good on him. Yeah. He's the actor that until I got a little older, I was like, is who's Dylan Baker and who's Dylan Walsh? Right. Uh, this would be a very different movie if Dylan Walsh was playing the lead. Well, Dylan Walsh was playing the lead. I'm Dylan Baker. Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> He's that forgettable that yeah. you forgot that he was in this movie. Uh, Frank Marshall would only direct one more movie after this. And I just watched it, like, during quarantine. Why did you watch it? Eight Below, because I it was a Paul Walker movie that I hadn't seen. Okay. And it's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, but I mean, like, it's, like, every... Like, the only thing that more predictable than a Disney, like animal movie is like a disney sports movie you know exactly they're all the same right but it was uh it was good i liked it it's got a little little paul walker a little bruce greenwood a little jason biggs just peppered in there just peppering the biggs oh i don't know if i need biggs peppered in speaking of biggs peppered in i watched jersey girl for the first time oh what'd you think the movie's like (laughs) you're going up to bat for a bunt single (laughs) (laughs) i think i get that yeah, it's like they're barely trying. It okay. means very well. Yeah. And uh, George Carlin has a really good speech at the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not Kevin Smith's best movie. No, no. I mean, I, I, I didn't hate it. I liked it better than Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Okay. So it's like, you know, middle bottom. <laughs> I've not seen Alive and I've not seen Eight Below, so I've only seen half of Frank Marshall's filmography. I still would say this is his second best movie. Yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't kick Arachnophobia or Congo out of bed. Right. Do you prefer this to Arachnophobia? Yeah, but I mean, like, I recognize Arachnophobia as a better movie. Got it. But it's very, they're both very fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They're both better than Spookies, and how is that possible? <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about Congo? Um, 
No, just, uh, yeah, this was one of those movies where, like, I remember I went to see it at Ridge Cinemas at, like, 1 o'clock, and my mom dropped us off, me and my friend, and then my friend's mom was supposed to pick us up, and I said, why don't you tell your mom to pick us up two hours later, and we'll go see Congo again, and then he was like, no, and I was like, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> all right well then uh with that we come to the end of our show thank you guys very much for listening as always you can go to fthismovie.com every day for content and podcasts and lots of uh, movie related fun uh follow us on twitter at fthismovie we're on facebook we're on instagram sort of uh you can email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com uh, and, uh, you can listen to us on Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever you happen to get your podcasts from. Uh, this was super fun to talk about. Thank you, Adam. Thanks. I hope not. Ne- I hope a uh, tenant never comes out. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.